Um, okay. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Talkin' Nicks. I'm joined with joined by Tom Piccolo tonight. Everyone else is on vacation. But we got a good one for you. We had we have five games this week. We had a little matinee today on Martin Luther King Day. So we'll get into it. Hey Tom, let's talk Knicks. Right. So before we get into it, I'd be remiss if I didn't wish Kenneth a happy birthday. He's on vacation today. Um, no one actually knows where it is, where he is. His birthday was yesterday, but he's still out and about somewhere. You could celebrate. He's one of those guys who celebrates a birthday week. So <laughs> happy birthday, Kenny. So he's out. Uh, Jake is having a, a nice little evening with his girlfriend. Um, Rumors have it BBD is also having a nice little evening with Jake's girlfriend, so who knows where anyone is. But Tom's here. Tom, how are you doing? I am here. I am available, and I'm doing pretty well. You know, we, we have, we're recording this on Monday evening on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and yeah, so had today off from work, had the, had the three-day weekend, which honestly, it doesn't feel long when i have a three-day weekend it just feels normal and every other weekend feels like we're getting gypped like that i don't know this is probably how it should be every week in my opinion this feels like the right kind of work to weekend balance what would you agree with that yeah that sounds fair to me but i'll say that i just worked this weekend on on saturday i just worked for like a full day like out of the, out of the blue, I got an email like 10 p.m. on Friday night. Like we're we're gonna need to do this tomorrow. And then we just did it for the whole day. Yeah, sounds like your weekend was was considerably worse than mine. I did go visit my wife in up in New Hampshire. She's uh, she spent her first week at Dartmouth this past week, um, and so yeah, I went up there and met her new roommates and checked out the town, and we had a really nice time. We actually we had a good time. It was. A really stressful drive getting up there just because I had never been there before and it was just super foggy and there was sleet and snow and I definitely lost control of my car like four times on the drive up. It was pretty precarious but um, made it there in one piece and we just we took our dog on a long walk through the woods. We went and got some food, got some beers. Like it was just a good weekend. It's like it's kind of nice when when you're married and you spend a little time apart. It's like when you do get together, it's like a little date night or something, you know, it's something to look forward to. So that's, I'm trying to look on the positive can't, side of my wife going away for all this time. Yeah, I can't relate to that feeling, but sounds good. How are the roommates? Did they pass the test or is she in for a weird four months? Roommates were good. They were, we, I brought my dog there as well, our dog. So, and they were big time dog people, which is always a, a good thing in my book. Like if they're, if they're cool with the dog, they're cool with me. So yeah, they were, they were nice. We, uh, we got to talk. We did a lot of like what, what's up, what else is on, which like what else do you talk about with new people like that you're just acquainting <laughs> with for the first time? You talk about stuff you're watching. So that was like a an extended segment of what else is on with Rose's new roommates. Um, yeah, especially <laughs> now when when everything's closed and you're not allowed to do anything, so you can't. There's really nothing else to talk about unless they wanted to talk about the Knicks. But I'm sure they're probably listening to the podcast, so they don't even need to have a a discussion. You're right. They're they're avid listeners now, and so they're all caught up on the Knicks talk. So, it was, so we'll we'll save that segment for the end. But uh, overall, it was it was a nice weekend, and uh, and a couple Knicks wins in there too. Agreed. The Knicks treated us to a nice little weekend after treating us to a not nice week. Five game week because we we added in this bonus Monday game. Um. We had predict predictions of of two and two, three and zero, oh, or, or four and zero. Oh. We're all wrong. I think maybe. Yeah, I think everyone was wrong. Last week, they were one and three. We add in this bonus magic game, and the week two and three. So we we start with the Hornets. Terrible, terrible showing. Play the Nets. Another terrible showing. Cavaliers. Another terrible showing. Celtics. Like pretty bad, but the Celtics were really bad, and then. Knicks and Magic, pretty similar case where it's just two teams who didn't want to win a basketball game, but somebody had to, and the Knicks did it. And that's how you go three and or two and three in a week. But I guess we'll start at the natural starting point, the beginning. Knicks Hornets. 
Knicks lose this one 109 to 88. Gordon Hayward scores 34 points total, including 28 points in the first half. That's just, I, I would say that's vintage Gordon Hayward, but that's better than vintage Gordon Hayward. That's just, that's just something that cannot happen if you want to win a basketball game. Um, Knicks in this one were pretty bad all, all throughout the lineup. The only, Two people who did okay were Kevin Knox coming off the bench, shooting 5-for-12 from three, and Mitchell Robinson going 5-for-5 from the field. But that only results in 12 points. And, you know, he still goes minus 27, leading the team in plus-minus in a bad way, leading it. So, I don't know. This was just a terrible game. So what do you think about this one? I didn't watch this one particularly closely toward the end just because they were, they were just going to lose this one. For, yeah, for it's hard to blame you. This was, this was a pretty brutal watch. Um, I mean, you mentioned that Gordon Hayward just completely had his way with the Knicks. Um, I would say things that jumped out. I mean, Julius Randle, who has just been consistently great all season, kind of took the night off, and, and I think there could be a few reasons for that. Um, uh, he finished the game with 11 points, just five boards, five assists, but to his four turnovers, he was two of nine from the field. Um, and I think that it was, uh, some people were speculating as to whether he was just playing too many minutes, whether Thibs was kind of running him into the ground early in the season. I don't, I think that the rest of the week may have kind of rebutted that a little bit, but he just played 30 minutes in this one and he, he looked really lackadaisical. He was not playing with the regular force that he plays with where he's just like getting to the rim and, and going, trying to go through people. Um, he was just kind of going, letting the game come to him, but, but a little bit too much. And, and the, the Knicks team kind of reflected his leadership in that. Um, RJ Barrett, this was, you know, th- this was the third loss in a row, I believe, um, at the time. And RJ had just been really struggling. And this one, he was five of 18 from the field, Oh, of five from three. Um, he did have the five assists to just one turnover and, and nine rebounds, which he's been a great rebounder for his position all season. But, I mean, 0-5 from three kind of tells the story. The team in general was 9 of 37. That's 24% from three. That's not going to get it done, especially when on the other side of the ball, the Hornets were shooting almost 41% from three um, on similar attempts. So it's just the Knicks couldn't hit a shot. <laughs> the the Hornets were were kind of catching fire a bit, and it, it was not the Knicks' night. You know, Kevin Knox was the only, even uh, quickly, who's been very impressive, and even these last couple of games has really. Well, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about quickly today. He was one of ten in this game, and zero of six from three. And I think a lot of people were a little skittish. I, I think that on this night they're like, oh, sh- did we like jump too quickly? I mean, that was actually a bad pun that I didn't mean to do, but like. Were we too soon to jump on this quickly bandwagon? And uh, again, I think the rest of the week has kind of vindicated the early optimism about quickly, but but this game was ugly, no doubt about it. That's bound to happen with rookies. Yeah, and it quickly was was bad. I think he had gone four games in a row at this point where he was like very bad. That's not That's not my opinion. That's just if you look at his field goals in the four previous games – he he wasn't bringing what he was bringing when we started celebrating. And it, on the other hand, Alfred Payton puts up, puts up a decent game in this one. Seven for 14 from the field, 15, six, and four. But, I mean, that's all, all for naught when you lose by 21. So nice of Alfred to to finally do a decent job when, when nothing matters. And I even remember in this game that Payton's numbers kind of like they kind of belied how much of an issue he's been on offense where the, the Hornets just completely ignored him and it, it really mucked up the spacing for everyone else. Like no one else could really get into the paint because Peyton's guy was just sagging off him so much. And that's been the story of a lot of this season. Um, so even when Peyton does put up numbers like these, it's not always all that beneficial. We'll see later this week. I think it was uh, it was today's game against Orlando. He actually was solid down the stretch and, and was a, a a benefit to the team. But in this one, I think that even that 7-14 field goal is like, it just, it, it doesn't really tell the full picture because and you look at the plus minus, he was minus 24, and the, the offense just really struggled with him on the court. Granted, 
quickly has been coming in for Peyton and kind of alleviating that and been a, a real, uh, you know, he's really perked up the offense when he's come in, and that was simply not the case in this one. So the Knicks offense was just a, a struggle the entire night. Yeah, and part of that was also Reggie Bullock was missing, our, our, our shooter by, by trade. He missed this one, and he missed the Nets game, so that didn't help. Austin Rivers was starting in his place. He didn't have the best game himself, but nobody did on the Knicks other than Kevin Knox. So that was an ugly one. So we'll we'll move on to the to the next one in the in the week. Knicks played the Nets in our crosstown rivalry. Lost this one, one sixteen to one oh nine. That final score is a lot closer than the actual game was. The Knicks were were losing by a significant amount. And then they just made a nice little fake comeback at the end to cut it to about five with, with under 30 seconds left. So it looks impressive when you look at the final score, but it wasn't actually this close. Um, we got to see Kevin Durant. This was this was the day of the James Harden trade. So Kyrie was out. Everyone on the team was out. They had traded Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. So those guys were just not playing. We were assuming we we're just playing Kevin Durant and a bunch of scrubs, which is what we did. But that didn't matter. The the Nets were still able to take advantage of us and and defeat us. We saw basically a good game from our two best players, Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. Randle going for thirty seven and five, proving that he's the best player in New York. He was plus one in this loss, so can't blame him. R.J. Barrett, 7 for 15 from the field, 20 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists. Another fine outing by him. And then the, the last, uh, Knox was also good. Knox, 13 points, 5 of 6 from the field, 2 for 3 from 3. And quickly finally made his turnaround. He's 19 points, 7 for 15 from the field, and 3 for 6 shooting from 3, which was a nice little surprise after those four duds he had put up in a row. Um, like I said, this one wasn't as close as it appeared by the final box score. The Knicks won the fourth quarter by nine points. They were losing by 16 going into the fourth quarter. Kevin Durant was just Kevin Durant. He looked so smooth. You know why, uh, why we wanted to get him originally when he was a free agent. So I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then the rest of the team from the Nets was was fine. Uh, the well-balanced team effort, I think they didn't have that many players available. They had nine players available, and they all came, and they did a good job together, and they defeated us. So, Tom, Tom, what did you see? So, I think you mentioned how quickly had a good game in this one, and I'm just going back to a, a tweet I had at the end of that first half. That was kind of just how the game, like, kind of, how it summed up the game. It was that with just under five minutes left in that first half, quickly got subbed out for Peyton, and the Nets went on a 15-4 to run to close the half to go up 16 um, going into that second half, and the Knicks never recovered from that. So, like, quickly had played really well in the first half. It was, a very, it was just a really competitive game, nearly heading into the second half, and the Knicks just completely fell apart in those last five minutes. Um, you know, KD in the third quarter, like every time the, the Knicks tried to make a comeback, KD would hit a shot. He was he had a, like a little stretch in there in the third quarter where he was completely on fire. Um, that's to be expected. You know, the Nets just had more talent, I guess, but um, there were there was some encouraging signs, like you mentioned. Uh, Randall was back to form after he kind of had a bounce back game after that Hornets performance, but again, he played forty minutes in this one. Um, so, you know, it, it indicate he, he was actually asked today uh, uh, about his minutes, and he said that he'd been training all off season for it, so he's he's not concerned about the minutes. Um, but yeah, like this was another one where I thought Alfred Payton really really crushed the team's offense. He was a team low minus thirteen in this one as far as plus minus goes, and I feel like that kind of um, corroborated with what we saw. And then the one other thing I'll point out is that this was Obi Toppin's return, and he played, I think it was 53 seconds in this game. It was very strange. Um, and 
yeah, I'm not really sure kind of. I think that Thibodeau said after the game he just didn't like the matchup for him, and granted Toppin hadn't practiced leading up to this one. He just kind of was available for this game and hadn't really had a chance to to practice with the team. So I understand not wanting to play him many minutes, but less than one was just, you know, maybe just don't play him if that's the case. Yeah, that was that was a shocker. We all were like, oh, oh Obi's in the game, and then there was a commercial, and then he, he was no longer in the game, and we didn't... <laughs> was not to be seen again and uh it was just very very odd and to go with that Alfred Payton point you brought in with Obi during his one minute in the game Obi went up for an alley-oop Alfred Payton served it up and it was broken <laughs> up by Chris Chioza about uh 5'10 just an absolutely terrible alley-oop pass as the Knicks have been prone to doing throughout the season so another thing just just going the other team's way. And so I'll say about quickly, I know I've I've alluded to his four previous games, just so you guys actually believe me. In those previous games, he was 0 for 1, 1 for 9, 0 for 4, 1 for 10. So he was 2 for 24 from the field in his four previous games before going 7 for 15 in this one. And then going on a nice little, nice little stretch against the Cavaliers, Celtics, and Magic. So... Quickly's back in this game. We we saw the Nets play. We saw our, our old friend DeAndre Jordan decided to to try for for about like a, a ten minute stretch there where we were dunked on Mitch and he swatted him, which was odd because DeAndre Jordan is old and he can't do that stuff anymore. But he did it. I guess it's still in there somewhere. So yeah, he was him. he was motivated. I feel like Mitch was kind of his protege to an extent, and Mitch does have trouble with these bigger, more well-built centers. I think, uh, you know, I think he had yeah. an issue later on with uh, Drummond in this next game. But, wow. yeah, some Perfect of these bigger example. guys, Mitch, just he needs to add that core strength, that that base strength to his legs as well to to be able to prevent, prevent some of this stuff because it's, it's definitely kind of a recurring thing. And then you mentioned Kevin Knox's numbers. Um, it's just it was good to see back-to-back good games because he had just had a good game in the – in the one previous to the Hornets. And in this game, he was five of six from the field, hit two out of three from behind the arc. So um, it, it's just good to see and, and to point out that he's actually consistently starting to shoot the ball well. And in most of the games, we can trust him to hit a couple threes, typically from the corner. I, I don't know, the stat that's been thrown around frequently during Knicks games is that he leads the league in corner three-point percentage. I can look that up um, in the meantime, but... Whether that's still true right this moment, it's still impressive that he's even up there. Yeah. And, I mean, you gave us a perfect segue, so I'm just going to hop right into it. Mitch having trouble with the big man was was on full display in this Cavaliers game. Cavaliers win 106-103. to 103. Mitch plays 28 minutes, scores five points, is minus 19 in a three-point loss. Nerlens Noel, who was basically mirroring JaVale McGee's minutes, plus a little, plus four extra minutes, goes plus 15 in his 17 minutes. Drummond in this game just looks like like a man among boys, just playing volleyball off the backboard, grabbing every rebound, seven offensive rebounds, 16 defensive rebounds, ends up with 33 and 23. He seems to be playing the, the point center role, um, maybe against the, the coach's wishes at times, but he makes it work. Um Chetty Oseman also goes off against us, 5 for 9 from 3, 10 for 20 from the field. He's averaging 12 points on the season coming into this one. Puts up a 25 spot. Colin Sexton and Darius Garland are both out of this game, so we're feeling good about ourselves. Kevin Love hasn't played in a little bit, so we're just going against a team of scrubs in our mind. And that team didn't seem to agree with that take. So, our good friend Damian Dotson was also on the team, and he'll come into play at the end of this one. He was a scrub for, for the majority of the game, and then he decided when it was winning time to fit it, to hit his first three-pointer of the game, just to put the game away. Very very sad times. He had two, two clutch free throws as well. But there were some positives in this one. Julius Randle, as always, leading the way, 28-6-6. and R.J. Barrett. Second in command, as always, it's becoming very familiar. 
20 points, four rebounds, three assists. And then lastly, Emmanuel quickly continues his onslaught, 23 points off the bench in 28 minutes, nine for 17 from the field. Just just a great – that's what we want from quickly. That's that's more than what we want. That's, that's exceptional off the bench. And he looks good, again, shooting from three, three for seven from deep, two for two from the line. I like what I saw from quickly. This was an ugly basketball game. It all fell apart at the very end. The Knicks were within one with the basketball, and we had a turnover. Julius Randle's back on defense ahead of the field. Damian Dotson is running the fast break. Julius Randle decides to let him get about one foot past him before he fouls him intentionally just so that the Cavaliers can get a clear path foul, allowing them to get two shots and the ball. And this is with under a minute left probably or with a minute left. Some, some Yeah, it was a minute pain. 18 when Randall was called for that clear path. And then so he got the, the two free throws, um, and that put them up by three. And then the Cavs got the ball back, and it led to that Damian Dotson pick and roll with a minute five left. He hit a layup, and the Knicks – and the Knicks went down by five with with you know just over a minute left, and you know that was just a, a tough spot to be in. Yes, very painful. But the Knicks somehow they get two points, and then they steal the inbounds pass out of the out of a timeout on the side, and we got a chance to tie it again. And instead, Reggie Bullock passes it to Mitchell Robinson underneath trying to get a quick dunk and we just turn it over instead and then the game ends and yeah I mean we're it, all sad there are a few things I want to point out just during that sequence is like RJ Barrett um well you mentioned the turnover that led to the clear path but it, w- it was RJ Barrett who who kind of was just like very aggressive and he had just hit a really tough pull-up long two on the possession before so with just under two minutes left, R.J. Barrett, as the shot clock expired, pulled up and hit this 24-foot pull-up jumper, well defended, and he nailed it. It was a clutch shot, and it brought the Knicks to within one. And so he was really feeling himself. And so the next time down the court, he he just tried to do too much, and he tried to go between his legs, um, tried to make tried tried to force the issue, and it just it hit off the defender's foot and went right into Andre Drummond's hands, and that's mm. that's what propelled that. Uh, that clear path, but it, it really was a, a really tough play from RJ, who had been playing well for much of crunch time. Like he hit, I think he hit four free throws in the last, um, certainly in the fourth quarter. He, he hit a couple with just under six minutes left, and then he hit two in a row that were huge with three minutes left to make it a one possession game. So RJ had been playing well. He had like earned an opportunity, and when when the mattered the most, he really did. Um, you know, I, I'm not gonna say he choked. He just really didn't make the right play, and it cost the the Knicks the game. Granted, you're right that that Reggie Bullock had a really nice steal later, but you know you can't really count on that to happen. And then you certainly can't count on Bullock making like a really nice pass, <laughs> and and he didn't. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it was it was also very unlucky that Andre Jumman's foot just happened to be where where he was dribbling it. And it wasn't a kickball because it wasn't intentional. He would just happen to dribble it off of Andre Drummond's foot, which, you know, half unluckily, half maybe don't do a between the legs coming forward between your legs at that point in time in the middle of the lane. But yeah, it was like he made up his mind before he he made the the play, right? He was like, I'm going to do this move against this guy and wasn't really reacting to the defense. It seems like he had it made up already. So that was He actually did. He did that move today. The, the same move. Yep. And the, and the same did the same legs. result happen? Uh, not off the foot. I don't remember what happened, but yeah, certainly no, no, I, not I off that. the foot. Clear path foul that lost the game. That, <laughs> no, that, that didn't. That result did not happen. Yeah. And um, I, one other thing I'll point I, out: uh, we mentioned how dominant Drummond was. He also took more free throws himself than the entire Knicks team did. Drummond was thirteen of nineteen from the free throw line. The Knicks as a team were 14 of 16. Really impressive percentage on the Knicks, who usually tend to miss a fair amount of free throws, but they just weren't were not getting to the line at all. Um, I mean, Randall got there; he was four of five. I think he usually gets there a little more than that. Uh, R.J. Barrett four of four from the free throw line, like I mentioned. But 
Like those those guys just get to the rim so much, you kind of expect them to get a few more attempts. Um, I think that the the refs really let them play in this one, but yeah, just uh, the Cavs were were just you know they were they played bigger. I think they were more aggressive. Uh, I don't know. If, I'm gonna check the rebounding disparity here. The Knicks had 39 rebounds to the Cavs 48. So yeah, like the Cavs were, were bigger and stronger and more aggressive around the, around the rim today that day. Yeah, and you mentioned Julius Randle going four or five from the free throw line. I missed part of this this final rundown. So when the Knicks were down five after the two free throws and then the ball back on the clear path foul, Julius Randle had a vicious dunk on Andre Drummond and won to cut it 99 to 100, free throw to tie the game with under a minute left, 56.9, and he missed the free throw. So we continued to be not down one. So that was that was sad. That was a tough break. Yeah, it was a team sad loss. Times. You know, can't can't pin it on on any one person. But it was it was really hard, just given that how how depleted the Cavs were. It was the first time we saw Isaac Okoro go against the Knicks. That was the guy who, if you'll remember, I predicted the Knicks were going to select with the eighth overall pick. Now we know that Okoro uh, didn't get there to the eighth pick. He wasn't an option. But um, I don't know. Were you impressed by Okoro? He played 42 minutes. That's kind of crazy. Those are some some Thibs numbers there. But um, I mean, he was he had 13 points with was four of eight from the field. Made all four of his free throws. Um, four assists to two turnovers. Just two boards. I don't know. I think Okoro looked like a, a fine rookie. No, nothing too special. But did you did he pop for you at all? Not really. I wasn't. I wasn't really paying attention. We were too busy getting destroyed by Chetty Osman and Andre Drummond. So yeah, it's those funny you two guys that. really popped. Because because <laughs> Chetty Osman uh, in the first matchup against the Cavs. Oh, so wait, was I wrong? Did Okoro play in that first matchup against the Cavs? I don't even remember no, him. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't he, think he did. I think he was out. Okay. Yeah. I, that that sounds right. So Chetty Osman was. Um, I was just looking at the numbers, and he was zero of four on wide open threes in that first game. So he got a lot of wide open looks against the Knicks in that first matchup and made none of them. And in this game, it was kind of the opposite story. Like he was still getting those same looks, but he was knocking them down and, and we made him look really good. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was unfortunate. So that was a loss. That ended our losses for the week. We decided to turn the ties after that. And what better way to turn what better team to turn the tide against than the number one at the time seed in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics, who came into the matchup eight and three. Knicks just destroyed them. It was it was never particularly close. It was 105-75 final result. Kemba Walker made his return in this one. He was limited to 20 minutes. I think he got injured at the end. Hurt his ribs. Uh, Jason Tatum was... Not in this one, COVID protocol. But as I like to say, the Knicks didn't have Jason Tatum either, and we made it work. So we got the W here. Absolute dominant team performance. I'm not sure I can say it was dominant as much as it was the Celtics just being legitimately awful. Celtics shot 7 for 46 from 3, which is bad. That's 15.2%. But they were six for forty-five, and they made their last three. So, their last three that didn't matter in this thirty-point game. So they were really shooting under thirteen percent from three on forty-five attempts, forty-six attempts. So that's you're not going to win like that. Jalen Brown did so fine. Oh my god! They were <laughs> oh, they were bad. <laughs> they were really, really bad. Yeah. So I'm going to just their starting lineup. Tristan Thompson, one for five from the field. Grant Williams, one for five from the field. Kemba Walker, three for 13. Marcus Smart, four for 15. Jalen Brown, nine for 20. That's just that's just bad. I mean, I could continue down their bench, and you'd be like, wow, that's all bad. Ojale, 0 for six. Neesmith, 0 for four. Tice, three for four. Jeff Teague, 0 for four. Peyton Pritchard, one for three. Draymond Waters, one for two. Jay Green, two for three. Don't even know who that is. I don't know who that Jay Green guy is. He, <laughs> play, he played 18 minutes. That's, that seems like a lot. Um, 
I'll click Javante Green. Yeah, this they play. I just couldn't believe how bad the Celtics were. It was almost hard to focus on like any positives from the Knicks side just because how bad Boston was. Um, I mean, Jalen Brown came out hot, so I felt like you know he was going to try and keep him in it, but he kind of fell apart in the second half, and uh, and the Knicks dominated. I mean, I, there's no one to even really shout out. Like, quickly continued to play well, and I think that he was the guy that most people were most excited about. He was seven to twelve from the field, two of four from three, had 17 points, eight assists to just two turnovers, um, and. Like he's continued to be kind of the guy that Knicks fans are most excited about. Um, granted, Obi Toppin had his most minutes um, since he's returned. He had 17 minutes, finished the game with 12 points on five of eight shooting, including two of four from three. Um, you know, I, I felt like some of those, some of his points were in garbage time and didn't really matter as much. But you still like to see him go out there and compete at an NBA level. We just haven't. We've seen so little from Toppin that. Any positive signs, Knicks fans are going to cling to and be like, "That's that's a good sign." Like you like to see that. So I don't know. I, is was there anything here you wanted to, to really highlight? I mean, Toppin was like you mentioned. This was the first time we've really gotten a, our best look at him, other than the first game of the season when he was basically just a spot up three point shooter. In this one, he was doing a little more cutting. He had two dunks, and then he also had a a cut for a layup. So. It was nice to see him moving around rather than just being spot-up jump shooter, so it'll be nice to see going forward. Um, I mean, as we, we got to just tell people, our two best players, as always, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, 20-12-4 for Randle, 19-11-3 for R.J. Barrett. So nice of them. Reggie Bullock leading this team with a plus 36, plus minus. Yeah, I think uh, on the on the game today they said that was the – team record since they started measuring in 2015 2016 it's good for you reggie good yeah the previous one was uh the previous holder of that record was pablo prigioni i think i think he said jose calderon oh is that right was a calderon okay my bad yeah yeah no no problem we'll we'll tell the people that prigioni was third and they'll have to believe it they'll have they'll have no idea how to who's gonna no one's gonna look that up um i don't know how to look it up that's because we don't pay for basketball reference. <laughs> Even if we did, I still wouldn't know. Um, yeah, this I mean, was just this was just such a bad game. There weren't really highlights. The Knicks just dominated, but it was just a team effort. Like Randall led the team with twenty points. We only put up one hundred and five points, and we won by thirty. The Celtics had fifty points after three quarters. I mean, I guess you got to credit dismal. the Knicks defense to an extent. Like the Knicks defense on the season has been really good. So, you know, it, it, it seems like it's at some point it gets to be less of a coincidence that all these teams are shooting so poorly against the Knicks. Granted, this was just a straight-up bad game, but I'm just saying, like, overall on the season, it we're 15 games in at this point, and the Knicks, I, I'm pulling up the numbers right here, have the fifth-best defense in the league according to Cleaning the Glass. <laughs> if you'd have told me the Knicks would have had a top five defense after 15 games, there's no way I would have believed you. Like, that's just completely shocking. And I think you have to, I mean, who, who are the guys you have to credit? Uh, granted, it's Thibs' scheme, and he's, he does a lot of that. But, like, Mitchell Robinson, it has felt like when he comes out of the game that the defense just falls apart because of his ability to protect the rim and how active he is, how active he is on the glass, ending defensive possessions, and how he's able to also defend the perimeter when he needs to and get out and, and and block shots. One thing that's really worried me is the last few games, he's just been getting so banged up. He he plays with such high energy. Um, he really just kind of flings his body all around the court. He's like crumpling to the floor a lot. He's getting hit in the face. He's landing hard on his shoulder. It's just, it, it's a little frightening the way he's playing and, and kind of given he's a guy whose minutes we've always like wanted to see more of the, He's he's continuing to play through these injuries, and I'm wondering if that's like the best idea right now. It seems to be working, certainly in the short term. Yeah, and he got injured at the end of that Cavaliers game. He tried to dunk it, and he got rejected by the rim. Came down a little awkwardly, and then he was just hobbling around. 
Um, couldn't really walk, but he didn't come out of the game immediately. It was pretty funny in a not funny way. And then these next two games, he was also not the most fluid he's ever been. He was also, you could see that he had been injured two games prior. But he was he was out there doing his thing. Made it work. And I don't want to like skip to a, a big picture topic, but just like looking at their defense and then looking at their personnel, we mentioned Mitch. It's not like Randall was ever considered this great defensive player. I think he's really bought in this year, and and certainly there, there are instances where he has taken plays off, and you can go find those and make fun of him or whatever. But overall, he's been quite good defensively, and he's really been competing on that end, which is something, you know, when you're that big and that strong, like you just need to get out there, grab rebounds, and just try and stay in front of your guy and, and play it a team scheme. Like I've been so impressed with the way the Knicks have been like helping each other and like just making defensive rotations. It's been very, uh, very notable, especially considering just some of these other guys that are getting big minutes. Alfred Payton maybe has a defensive reputation. He's not that good of a team defender. I don't think um, Kevin Knox has been getting minutes. He's been considered some, one of the worst defensive players in the year also, uh, in the league in past years. And then Austin Rivers, He's been getting rotation minutes. He's a straight up, I think he's a bad defender, like a bad team defender. He might get into guys' jerseys on the ball, but he seems to get beat back door a lot. He seems to reach and foul a lot. Like I've, I've been pretty low on, on Austin Rivers' um, play in recent games, but somehow like the team just keeps holding opponents to low scoring, low field goal efficiency. It's It's pretty impressive to see. Yeah, and they actually went – Back-to-back games holding the opposing team with under 40 points in the first half with this Celtics game and today's Magic game. Before I segue on to that Magic game, I'll say that this 30-point win by the Knicks was their biggest win against the Celtics since 1997. It's a good year. I remember that one. Yeah, I think think we all remember that one. So then we moved on to this last game of the week, our bonus matinee. 12 p.m. tip-off against the Orlando Magic at Madison Square Garden. Um, Both teams come out firing in this first quarter. 19-13 after 12 minutes of play. Just an absolute barn burner. Nikola Lucevic scores the first nine points for for the Magic. The rest of his team scores four points in the first quarter. Nice of them to try to help out. Knicks are led by by Randall, who didn't have his best game in this one. Wasn't super efficient. Five for 19 overall from the field. He really stepped it up at the end of the game. He hit a big three, and then he knocked down four free throws to to basically ice it up. So that was good. R.J. Barrett had a good game here. Didn't hit a three, but he was nine for 19 from the field, 22 points. Other than that, you know, it was a, we had our, our – Emmanuel quickly doing his thing again. Um, plus minus wasn't the best, minus 13, but he had 11 points. He was basically instant offense off the bench coming off of that uh, that Celtics game when he was really just hitting every floater and every three-pointer that he took. When That was that was another thing in that Celtics game. Quickly was just hitting floaters all over the place, just absolutely ridiculous floaters. And he just tried to carry that over into this one. Four for 10. It took 10 shots in 15 minutes, which is – he was gunning. And when you're hot, when you're in the middle of a four-game hot streak after a four-game cold streak, you you just keep gunning, see what happens. But this one got, got close at the end again. Magic cut it to close. The, uh, Terrence Ross hit a ridiculous three-pointer um, off of a jump ball. So there was a jump ball with about 2.6 or something on the shot clock for the Magic. Um, Julius Randle hit it, Alfred Payton caught it, and he just like launched up a a three at the buzzer, and it went in, and the Magic were winning by one. Oh, Terrence Ross caught it, yeah. Yeah. Very painful. Yeah. And that was, that was when I assumed we were going to lose the game at that point. But the Knicks persevered, and they won this one by seven. They iced it away, went to the free throw line. They did it. They won. It was it was ugly. They just did what they had to do to come out with the victory. And I think that the some of the biggest plays of the game were from R.J. Barrett, who 
I, I think that the go-ahead bucket from the Knicks was actually a putback that that Barrett had like a, a big rebound, a big offensive rebound, um, and and like a really easy uncontested putback layup, which was pretty shocking. Um, so I'm looking it up right here. That was with so that, two two fifty left. That put the Knicks up by two. Okay, yeah, and then on the next play, you're right. Terrence Ross did hit that three to put them back up one, and then it was uh it was Randall free throws, um, but. The the steal that that so RJ kind of anticipated an Aaron mm. Gordon drive. This was with forty about forty five seconds left. Aaron Gordon uh, out of out of a timeout makes this drive, and they're looking for a Vooch pick and pop at this point. And RJ Barrett saw it coming, and he jumped the passing lane. He tipped the ball to Reggie Bullock, who threw it ahead to Barrett, and so. The, the Knicks were up by two with less than a minute left. And I think a lot of Knicks fans were probably like, okay, RJ, just pull it out. Don't do anything crazy. Um, but RJ made the right that play. Was me. Yeah, well, of course, of course. Because, like, we've seen, we saw Bullock's turnover earlier this week. Like, the Knicks haven't been great in transition. They've actually been really high turning the ball over. But RJ was aggressive all game getting out in transition. Like, in the first quarter alone, he had a couple. He had two fast break buckets, um, and and it, he just he put his head down, got to the rim, and made a layup to put the Knicks up by four, and that ended up definitely being the right choice. Like the thing is, the Magic wouldn't have had to foul. You know what I mean? Like if they would have just set up their offense against a half court, uh, like a set defense, the Knicks could have easily just not scored. <laughs> like very, it would have been very likely given mm-hmm. the the trajectory of this game, the Knicks wouldn't have scored and the, and the magic would have had an opportunity. So the fact that Barrett got out there and, and pushed, you know, he, he just pushed it and, and made a layup. Like it was, it was just enormous. And that ended up being the ball game. So yeah. Um, RJ Barrett, he, after really struggling kind of in the, in the mid part of the season, the last few games, last four games, he's been really good. He's been really good. And that's the biggest thing I think the Knicks fans can see right now is, is R.J. Barrett finishing at the rim, trying to get himself some easy looks? Because you know his three-point shot, it's going to be hit or miss for this. For this, certainly, I, I suspect for the rest of this season, he was 0-3 from behind the arc in this one. But the fact that he's been able to be so efficient from two, that's what's enabled him to be su- such a good player uh, these last four games. Yeah, and I'll make a correction on myself. There was actually two jump balls in this last minute 43. So the first one was Ken Birch against R.J. Barrett. Ken Birch tipped the ball out to Terrence Ross for his three. And then when we were up four, we had a defensive stand where uh, Mitchell Robinson played great defense on Aaron Gordon. Um, didn't didn't foul. Defense without fouling. Robin or Gordon got it to the rim, took a tough layup and missed. Um Tried again with a tip shot, missed again. Ball was loose on the floor. Julius Randle dove on it. Ends up. Cole Anthony jumps on top of him. No rules when you're when, when there's a loose ball. So ends up being a jump ball for Randle and Cole Anthony with the Knicks up four. Julius Randle wins that tip. Then he gets the ball to Reggie Bullock, who gets fouled and hits two free throws, and then we're up six. So very, very very nice ending to this one after the, the Knicks were up 10 or they're up 12 in the late stages of the third quarter. Alfred Payton had just dunked it on somebody and then things just went bad. Things just fell apart. It was just ugliness. The magic just creeped back slowly, but surely Terrence Ross starts hitting threes. Aaron Gordon starts dunking on people. Fusevich was just getting mad at everybody. Everybody hated the refs in this one as well. There was a lot of yelling and complaining. Breen and Frazier were just saying how terrible of a basketball game it was. So when it ended and we got the win, it was it was nice. Yeah, I mean, the, the Knicks bench wasn't all that good in this one. So I, I know that we give a lot of hate to, to Alfred Payton, but he actually played a solid game in this one. Um and it wasn't just like the the points, which he had twelve points, four assists, just one turnover. He just he kind of just steered the ship 
and and made the right plays and you know quickly came in and he he was trying to do a lot um he he looked just okay like he he had some some really nice floaters again i've i'd actually been a little critical earlier in the season just saying how quickly only takes floaters and that's continued to be the case even clyde mentioned it on the broadcast that he doesn't really have a pull up jump shot like he'll hit his like even his three ball is kind of a set shot and then as soon as he gets within the arc, he's not hitting you with a pull-up jumper from anywhere. He's he's launching floaters everywhere. So um, I don't know. I, I wonder if that's something he's going to need to add to his to his repertoire because you look at some of the best point guards in the NBA. You think of like Chris Paul, who's probably the best mid-range shooter, one of the best mid-range shooters in the league. Um, it's just a really important shot for point guards to have once they get, especially in pick and roll, like. What quickly loves to do is is go around a pick and roll and then snake it back the other way. And a lot of times you're going to have a, a an open 15 footer to just pull up and, and knock down. And it's not really in his bag right now. Um, I'm not hating on the floater because I know Knicks fans love it, but I, I just think a little versatility to his to his shots going to be really important for him. Um, just a couple other minor notes like Rivers again. I thought was really bad in this game. I. I he kind of had some early heroics when he first came to the Knicks and he said all the right things in interviews and, and Knicks fans were really like galvanizing around Rivers as this vocal leader, but he has not been performing on the court in any way. Uh, I thought he's been, he's been pretty, he had a really bad week, so hopefully he can bounce back next week. And then Kevin Knox had kind of his first non-factor game where he was 0 of 4 from the field, 0 of 3 from 3. He, we hadn't really seen him do that lately. He's always been good for – he's been so consistent and reliable from behind the arc that it was strange to see him um, just be a total non-factor. And then one last thing is, is Obi Toppin did get nine minutes in this game. He had one bucket that, honestly, I don't even remember. Do you, do you remember what he did? Uh, no. No, it was not memorable. Um, well, oh, was it a was it a quickly pick and roll? Alley-oop. It was an alley-oop. Yeah, alley-oop. No, okay, it. so it was yeah. – actually, my bad. Yeah. It, it was memorable. It, it was a quickly alley-oop. Um, you would like to see a lot more of it. I think it was <laughs> – the only reason it slipped my mind is because he didn't really do anything else. He was 0 of 2 from from 3, um, only grabbed one rebound. Like, Granted, he just played nine minutes. I get it that he didn't wasn't really able to find a rhythm, but um, I don't know. It, it would just be nice. Toppin, again, it's so early in the season. I'm not trying to, to – you know, give this guy a hard time. It's just he was billed as this dude who's ready to play, right? He's an older rookie, and he's going to come in with more of a polished offensive game, more tools that are going to translate. And I still expect to see those. It's just I'm having such a hard time seeing or envisioning how he's going to be used correctly. I know I sound like a broken record on that, but I I don't know how it's going to change as the season progresses. Yeah, I mean, I think that it'll segue us perfectly into – a bigger topic, which is is the progression of these rookies. Um, I know you mentioned Quickly's floater, and like you said, that needs to. He, he's taking floaters from a little too far away. He's been hanging out with Kevin Knox a little too much, where you're you're taking that free throw line floater, and Quickly takes it like a like really quick off of a. He'll just be moving, and then he'll shoot a floater out of nowhere. And it worked against the Celtics, but when it works, it works. When it doesn't, it's one of those things that looks so stupid. It's like uh, like if Damian Lillard, when he pulls up from 35 feet, if he just bricked it, then it looks dumb. It's like one of those. So I think that it, part it, of his problem is like his jump – like you, you see his set shot from, from three, and he keeps the ball so low like in front of his face. It, it looks very easy to block. So I think he's developed that floater, especially the way he releases it being so unexpected because it's such a quick release. Defenders can't really prepare to block it because it's just it looks like you don't you don't want to shoot right now, do you? And he just kind of <laughs> launches it. But yeah. there are there are instances when he needs to just pull up, rise up and hit a pull-up jump shot and I think he's just been so conditioned and so worried about that, about that getting blocked because of his low release that he doesn't feel confident taking that shot at this point. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if it's in there because I don't really know a lot of like you mentioned a lot of star players. They're using that mid range jumper. I don't know a lot of people who are using a a pretty far floater. I know maybe Kemba now and then could come with that floater, but who else has that in their bag? Really, 
I mean, I think that people maybe mentioned CJ McCollum having a nice floater, but he also has just a tremendous mid-range game. So it's he's super versatile, which you need to be. You know, you have to kind of react to the defense and not sort of just have your mind made up and do what you want to do or do the only thing that you're comfortable doing. You have to be comfortable doing a lot of different things. Yeah. And then uh, quickly and Toppin seemed to have developed a little bit of chemistry, which was nice to see. I think he had two assists to quickly had two assists to Toppin in that Celtics game, and then like we mentioned, this alley oop in this this Magic game. So that was good. And I, as you mentioned, it'll be interesting to see what Toppin becomes, what his role is. But I, I'm I'm seeing better better role for him a better role for him than I saw in that very first game. In that first game before the pre-injury against the Pacers, he just appeared to be a a three-point shooter, which was not what we expected from him coming out of college, and it was was honestly quite shocking. He's still shooting that three-pointer with the high arc. Reminded me of Kevin Knox over the past two years, where it's maybe it'll go in, probably not. Um but now he seems to be cutting a lot more, getting to the rim. He had a nice pick and roll with quickly that ended in the alley oop. So if we're using him as as this slasher type, I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be a, you know, running off screens, catching threes and launching them. But he can be running off screens, catching, catching cuts and then dunking them, at least. So if we get yeah, him in I those wonder, spots, I wonder just kind of like what his ceiling would be as an offensive player. And then I think of it kind of just being very similar to Randall's, like how Randall's playing right now. Granted, I don't think that last year we would have thought that Randall could reach this ceiling that he's playing this year. Um, So, you know, take that as you will. But, like, Obi Toppin has a similar, like, I don't know that he really plays with the aggressive force that Randall does, but he has the build, he has the strength, he has has much much better hops than Randall does. Um, And he has a similar feel for passing as Randall does. So I think I've said this before, but like Randall has gotten to the point where he is bullying people smaller than him and he is drawing double teams with a lot of consistency. So like because he's drawing so many double teams, he knows to look where to look for passes. I think that Toppin just has to get to the point where he has developed that offensive skill set where he's drawing double teams, you know, whether that's in the post or, or on the wing facing up. Uh, we'll we'll see kind of what he what he ends up developing, but he's gonna in order for him to use his passing ability, which is very good. We've already seen how good of, of a passer he is. He's gonna have to be drawing double teams, kind of like Randall is now. So I see him being used similarly to Randall, um, and whether that can happen with Randall also on the court, I'm not sure. I'm not. I, I don't know. I don't really see Toppin and Mitch playing all that well together. So I think that the front court duo that Obi would be best paired with is Julius Randall. Um, it's just whether that's a good fit in and of itself. I'm I'm still unsure. I'm just going to see more, I guess. Yeah, and one other guy that I thought was a good comp potentially for for Obi down the road was a guy we saw today in Aaron Gordon. Just that explosive athleticism that Obi has. I know he's just so much more explosive than than Randall is. But I mean, Aaron Gordon is just if if. If you get Aaron Gordon out of the number eight pick in the NBA draft, you should be happy with yourselves. So Definitely. No, I think I actually hadn't heard that comp for him before. I think because Aaron Gordon, for a lot of his career, has kind of seen himself as this wing who likes to be like the pick-and-roll ball handler. And, and you know, he yeah. thinks of himself as like Paul George, whereas Obi Toppin's never really had those sort of notions of himself. But I like the way that Aaron Gordon should be used – is kind of like how Obi Toppin should be used. I kind of like, I do like some comp, like a, a little bit of that comp there. Yeah, I was going to say he definitely can't dribble like Aaron Gordon can yet. He uh, sometimes he tries to dribble, sometimes it does, it works, sometimes it doesn't. So that's not the consistency you want out of dribbling in the NBA. Maybe you can have that <laughs> out of some other category, some other skill set. So I, I don't know if, but that there's much else out there to talk about this week but in the world of the Knicks basketball. I think we covered the big ones. I think we could maybe just make predictions on this week and then good on, get on to the good stuff. I know we're playing the Warriors, we're playing the Kings, and we're playing the pa- the Blazers. 
So it's going to be a tough week out west. Oh, yeah, we got so a road trip we, coming up. What are we thinking? Three games this week because we already had the one. This this was one of the ones. This is the one we would have predicted that we would win if we had to. And just but think, like, Sunday's, Sunday's game starts at 9 p.m. Eastern. So, like, we probably won't be taping this when that game's over at midnight <laughs> on Sunday night. Um, we may only get two games on the next podcast. It's true. Or we could tape it on Monday because now we're on Monday. And after after Martin Luther King Day, we're on a Monday's only schedule for the rest of the season. It's going to be hard to get back. It's going to be hard to get back. I think we're on a Monday schedule now. Slowly we'll get to a Tuesday schedule, Wednesday, and then by the off season we'll be going with the, the bi-monthly episode. <laughs> um, we're, yeah, we're just I, preparing for it now. All right, so what should we do for predictions? You want to do... Do you want to do three games and, and Yeah, I think we'll we'll do the three games okay. at Golden State, at Sacramento, at Portland. So Portland is getting hit by the injury bug. McCollum has a foot sprain. Nurkic is out for two months with a broken wrist. I don't know how long McCollum is out. I assume he's gonna be out in this game, but I don't know what a foot sprain is. So he could be back in a week, he could be back in a month. I have no idea. So I think we'll probably lose to the Warriors. I think we'll I mean we're the Knicks. We gotta beat the Kings. And then the Blazers is the, the coin flip game. I think that's gonna be the difference between our two predictions. So I'm gonna be the optimist as always and say we'll go two and one. Which is I, I'm I don't know that I actually think that's gonna happen, but I'm gonna say it. And your two and one is is losing to the Warriors, but Beating the Blazers and beating the Kings? Yep, that's right. All right, yeah. I think I think I am going to go one and two, and I think it's just beating the Kings and losing to the Blazers and Warriors, but that's okay. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's not good. a bad week. I think that's a good prediction. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that, that puts us on to the good stuff. Um, everyone's favorite segment. What are you watching? Tom was... What else is on? Warm, what else is on? That's what it's called. We, uh, Tom was warming up with his discussions which, with his wife's neighbors. There was wife's roommates. So, or, or neighbors. I don't remember which one you said. Does she live with them or they live next door? Yeah, yeah it's her roommates. Um, she lives with them. So, one thing we started talking about was like horror movies. Do you watch like scary movies? I do not. I've only ever seen The Grudge, I would say, is the only technical scary movie I've seen. I've also seen um, Get Out, which, you know. That counts. That counts, I guess. We'll count it. And Saw. And Saw 1 and 2 and 3. But I don't, like, Saw was more of a mind screw than a horror movie in my book. Saw was just so, like, gruesome and and yeah violent that like yeah it's almost like that's not that scary as it is kind of just gross um, <laughs> but it is intense um i don't know i'd i'd like watched the movie hereditary fairly recently um and that movie is just freaky like i, I don't know whose mind could think of it and i'm not going to like get into details cuz it's a pretty unpleasant film but basically, the whole, the whole movie just is you're you're uneasy. There's this just feeling of just discomfort the whole time, and it's just like simmering discomfort. It's like you're watching this movie. And you're like, who wants to feel this way? Why? And I, so I'm with <laughs> you, Greg. I'm like, why do people put themselves through these movies? Um, you mentioned Get Out, and Jordan Peele's other more recent movie was like a little scarier. It's called Us, and. Again, it's just like I don't know that they're they're just. I used to like scary movies when I was younger. I just like didn't. I thought everything was just kind of funny, and like I liked like making fun of them with my friends. <laughs> but now I think that like since I've gotten older, I'm like more scared of scary movies. And you think that when you're a kid, that when you're an adult, you're not going to be scared of it. But 
like kind of the opposite has happened with me. Like it, I so yeah. right now I mentioned my wife is in New Hampshire. I'm here in Connecticut. If I were to go downstairs and put on a scary movie by myself, I would be scared the rest of the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just picturing you, like if you had a kid who got a, who saw a scary movie. And he wanted you to comfort him, and then he told you about it, and you were like, wow, that is scary. <laughs> that is messed up, man. Then <laughs> you would both just be scared. Good luck with all of that. <laughs> have a good night, son. Yeah, like I'd be the guy putting on, you know how sometimes you have a, a light switch on two sides of a staircase, right? So you like turn mm. it on at the bottom, and then yep. go upstairs and turn it off, right? Because you're not walking up the stairs with a light on. Like, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. We're not. We're not a horror movie pod for a reason. I think yeah. is hereditary. That's not new. Is no, it new? It, it, it's not new. Um, I, I think it's like it. known. It's like known as a very scary movie. Yeah, and it is. I've heard it called like the scariest movie of the last like ten years. Yeah. So I was I was very curious about it because I was like, what's gonna be? And it, I don't know. There weren't all that many jump scares, right? Because like I said, it was just this like tension building throughout and then there were like two or three big jump scares um but i don't know the jump scares aren't even like quite as scary as just the all the other yeah you know uncomfortable stuff right the jump scares at least there's a release right like you you or your partner will scream and then you'll laugh at yourselves for having screamed at a movie but like the rest of it is just like sitting in silence being feeling weird and being like i kind of wish we weren't doing this right now like can we just put on the office or scrubs or something <laughs> did you watch the haunting of hill house on netflix that was like a series yeah, I, yeah. I, I saw a couple episodes and by that i mean i was sitting in a room when other people turned it on and were like we're watching this and i was like okay and like when they it felt like it was going to be too scary i would literally like just turn around and look on my phone on the couch i'm not i'm just not into it I mean, yeah, Rose and I watched like all but the last two, the last two episodes, I think we watched most of it and then we just kind of stopped. We're like, we don't care. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't want to feel like this anymore. It was good. I think. I think it was well done. Yeah. I think it's, I think it was well done. Um, But if it's not your thing, like it's, that's fine. More my thing is what I've been watching. The NFL playoffs. Um, I've been watching that. Some some good games, some terrible games. Tom Brady and the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Saints yesterday. That was a good one. Uh, Drew Brees was bad. But more so on the TV side of things, I'm re-watching Succession. I try to convince people to watch it. Like my roommate, I've been trying to tell him to watch it for a little bit. I watched it at the beginning of lockdown and was like, wow, that was – now that's television. That's how you do it. I can't and, believe you uh, have to, to convince, convince people to watch this show. The show is like known as one of the best shows on TV, and it is. I mean, just watch a couple episodes. It's so good. Yeah. How? Why are you having a hard time convincing people of this? I don't know. I mean, it's just like anybody. You know, they already have their their list of things that they're watching, and if you you don't know anything about it other than someone telling you that it's good, but how many movie? How many shows have people said like this is good? You should watch it. And you just go like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Like Ozark. A lot of people have told me to watch Ozark, but just haven't done it. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do that eventually. I'll get to it. So That's a good point. Yeah, Ozark, I watched the the pilot, and I was like, this is good, but I just, I never put it on again. <laughs> and part of it is, a part of it's a time thing. I don't know, Succession. Yeah, succession is easy. You got two seasons so far, so you're not. You're not like going to a 70 episode of The Wire. You start episode one and you're like, wow, there's still 70 episodes left. With this, you're like, this is 20 hours of my life. Let's get it done. You can, we could do that in a week. Exactly. No, that, and that, that's what I was going to say. It's like, it's not a huge, people are just very wary of these time commitments. I don't know why, because all we have is time. And, <laughs> and you and I have proven, if nothing else, that we are willing to sit through hours of TV Based on our love of Lost, you and I came to yeah. Lost a decade after it came out. Like it was not timely anymore, but I know I loved it. And even the later seasons that everyone made fun of and thought it was stupid because it was stupid, I was still like, "This is awesome! Mm. Like this is yeah. fun." It's just well-made show. I thought uh, the first two seasons of Lost, I think, were prime television. Oh yeah, and some of the the two two of the best seasons of television I've ever seen. Yeah, so. 
the last thing I'll say about what else is on is uh, Rose and I are still finishing up the miniseries The Flight Attendant with Kaylee Cuoco, and it's still a lot of fun. So if, you, if you're just looking for a show that's kind of a thriller, kind of a screwball, not a comedy, but they're lighter moments, it's, uh, it's definitely a good show just to put on, shut your brain off, and, and watch. Like, it's not going to change your life, but it's just good. It's good TV. It is well made. It's an HBO show. Like, they definitely put the time in. They got some stars. It's, it's just a fun program. So I recommend that to you if you're just looking for it's eight episodes, you know, 45 minutes to an hour each, and you can bang it out quickly, and it's just fun, fun TV. I think I said that in the last episode, too. So um, I expect to finish it this week. can talk about it again on next week's pod. Perfect. That's just an easy, easy one. Eight episodes, I'll do that. For sure. I think that's all we got for you. Nick's ending this week on a two-game winning streak, headed to the West Coast. We got two days off. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're back on Thursday. So, over the next do their thing on the West Coast. So, go Knicks. Knicks type.